Another annual meeting Sunday at Old South Church in Boston. The 353rd one of them, presumably in an unbroken sequence. The moment in the wise circle of a year when we stop and take a look at ourselves, what we've been up to, who we are and want to be, and maybe what God might be up to among us if it's left any visible marks on the slate of the past 12 months. What to say about such a moment in such a year? How might the Holy One want us to see ourselves as we enter the waning months of this year of transition to understand better the church that we want to be when the new time begins. Well, I was thinking about that and <clears throat> marinating in the company of the Psalms as Mitchell has invited us to do this Lent and remembering how my colleague, Ms. Kate Ninchu, wrote in her newsletter a couple of weeks ago, maybe you saw this, that the thing she loves about the Psalms is that as she reads them, she feels seen. She feels seen. And so it came to me to begin today with a story of something that happened to me six years ago. It might seem like an odd place to start, but maybe it will all fit together. This story starts with me flat on my back in a dark corridor just outside the closed double doors of an operating room at Massachusetts General Hospital where I had just been wheeled for surgery to repair a leaking valve in my heart. The surgery wasn't a surprise. I'd known it was coming for six months or more. Still, of course, it was daunting. No, that's an understatement. You lie on your gurney and they wheel you head first, which means you can only look back at your life, not ahead to what's coming on the other side of the double doors, which is probably a good thing. At that threshold, in the muted light, I was handed off to two or three very kind people in scrubs, I was ready to give my date of birth to them for the 50th time that morning, but they wanted to know what I might need to help me feel relaxed and grounded, what I was worried about. And they listened so carefully while I told them about a moment in the process that I knew was coming that had become the focal point of my anxiety. One of them made a careful note on a clipboard, and they promised to take special care of me when that moment arrived. I felt held. And then the double doors behind my head opened, and they wheeled me into a bright, surprisingly cool room, oddly with a sort of pale blue tint to the light parked in the middle of the room, flat on my back, everything was looking up. And there were maybe half a dozen people in different parts of the room around me, each calmly busy with some task. 
And each one of them greeted me by name, met my gaze, and smiled, introduced themselves, but didn't say anything about what they were doing, which I'm sure was a good thing, <laughs> and said something encouraging to me, almost as though I were an athlete towing up at the starting line. I felt held, overwhelmingly so, in fact, as it fully dawned on me that these people held my life in their hands. These very people whose faces I was looking up to, whose voices had distinctive sounds, were about to do a series of unimaginable things to my body that I missed entirely, of course, so don't worry that I'm going to describe them. I'm not. I can't. They were keeping me, guarding me, calmly, confidently, kindly. In that moment, it occurred to me that I'd never before rested in such a finely woven, perfectly integrated web of skill and care. Never felt so known, so held. And the last thing I remember of the maybe two or three minutes total that I was awake in that bright, cool, calmly bustling room. The last thing I remember lifting up my eyes from my flat place to the faces and hands that were occupied with holding my life. The last thing I remember was the thought that this is what it means. This is what it's like concretely to be held in the love of God, to be guarded and watched and kept with such unimaginable skill and dedication and vigilance. And the thought also in my mind that there is no person in the world who does not deserve to be held in such care as that. And the thought that this is what it's like when people pool their regard for a vulnerable stranger who just rolled in and, and then I was asleep. And then, in no time, as far as I knew, I was awake again and life resumed the slow but steady journey of healing and strength gathering, but now infused with the indelible memory of what it felt like to have been held. When is a church like heart surgery? <laughs> Sounds like the beginning of one of those great riddles that second graders love. Answer, on annual meeting day. Go through the double doors upstairs. Open the double doors of these pages. And if you lift your eyes and look in a certain way at what you're in the middle of, you'll see that you're surrounded by people calmly busy with their myriad tasks but hopefully taking the time to meet your lifted eyes, 
to greet you with a kind, reassuring word, while at some level being aware as they go about their tasks that they are holding life in their hands, life in the form of community, life in the form of the many tasks, playing, conducting, ushering, collecting, adding, greeting, that go into holding, keeping, guarding, justice, mercy, beauty, our work. Knowing it would be annual meeting day, I was remembering that bright, cool place six years ago, remembering raising my gaze to make eye contact with the care around me, the intricately collaborative project of holding life, remembering the collection of skills and the pooled commitment in that room. I was holding on to that memory of being held and kept when I looked up the psalm for this week. And there on the page, I found this. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Holy One, maker of heaven and earth, who will not let your foot be moved, who keeps you and will not slumber. The one who keeps the people will neither slumber nor sleep. The Holy One is your keeper, your shade at your right hand and your left hand. And the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. God will keep you from all evil, will keep your life. God will hold your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That psalm, which the choir will sing at the offertory, and the other psalm which Ashley used to call us to worship today, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up to the place of God. Those were songs of travel, to sing on the way, songs for getting ready to put yourself in the middle of the power of a place of care. For ancient pilgrims, Jerusalem was a place like that, a place with its own light and care, a place you longed to immerse yourself in, a place to lift your eyes to, because all roads to Jerusalem lead up, up into the hills. On the way, you sang these songs of readiness to be in a place that spoke in all the languages of history and hope, of inspiration and responsibility, a place that spoke to your hungers, a place that spoke to your fears, a place that spoke to your sense of what matters most. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up even if from most directions it's actually down to the back bay, but never mind. Let us go up 
to the place where when we lift our eyes, we meet the gaze of those who are calmly busy with all the work of holding life. Let us roll through the double doors and put ourselves in the midst of the power of a place, a church, or a neighborhood, or a family, a community, a circle. A place where life is held in a finely woven, holy web of care. Jesus reminded us that the ancient commandment says, love your neighbor. Yes, we've heard that for thousands of years. But then Jesus, you noticed, set the bar higher. Conventional wisdom has it that in this world it's all about who you know, and your neighbor is your neighbor. But just as God sends the sun and the rain to fall on everyone, so Jesus calls us to let the attention of our care fall, not just on the ones we already know we love, not just on the ones we already know by name, but also on the others whom the tides of going out and coming in happen to wheel in through the double doors and into the precincts of our care, into the midst of our calm busyness of preparation for the holding of leaky hearts. That's a lot to ask. But then we've had three, three and a half centuries to practice. And, says Jesus, if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Ouch, those are words for an urban church struggling to make coffee hour a religious experience for the strangers who come lifting their eyes in search of a web of care to be held by. Unlike the way the rest of the world works, maybe it isn't so much about who you know, but about who knows you, knows what you're here for, knows why this aspires to be a place of healing and care. Or maybe it's that who you know is everybody, because as God sends the rain and the sun to nourish the lives of everyone, so God sends the church to do the same. Now don't let that last verse about being perfect as your God in heaven is perfect, don't let that hook your perfectionism or your performance anxiety. The book of ancient wisdom the book of Leviticus that taught Jesus that saying and that teaches us to love our neighbors. It says right there, you must be holy as your God in heaven is holy. And Jesus surely had that line in mind. 
when he concluded this teaching. You must be perfect in the sense of consecrated to and concentrated on the holy work that you're about, the careful and collaborative preparations you make in the course of doing the work you're called to do. You must be perfect in the sense of being whole and wholehearted as you lift your eyes to meet the gaze of the pilgrims who wheel in hoping to be held in the love and care of God. So, through the double doors we go into the place where we are each held, the place which we all hold in an intricate and ingenious web of care that is redolent of the unfailing presence of the love at the center of the room, the love at the center of the universe. That's how a church is like heart surgery. That's what I hope we are today. That's what I think we are, or might be, or are trying to be. So, we sing our songs of travel, our songs of pilgrimage to muster the eagerness and the courage we need in order to go where we're called to go. We, with our leaky hearts, sing our songs on the way to the holy place where life starts again and again, the place where we are kept, guarded, held by a power that is greater, more good, more beautiful, even than the sum of all its parts. Amen.